Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We'll be in Romans 1, looking at the first 17 verses. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name's Mark, and I get to be one of the ministers here at the church, and we appreciate your generosity in these next few moments as you help fund missionaries throughout the world, ministries in this community, and just allow the gospel to be presented from this particular ministry and our investments in other groups. Uh, We're grateful for that. Uh, We are beginning, as Chip had mentioned a little bit earlier in the setup for our time of uh, musical worship together, that we are focusing on a new series that's going to take us this through the next eight weeks looking at salvation spaces. We're going to be looking in the book of Romans and looking at the gospel. We're going to be looking at what the gospel is and how it encompasses needs that we know and needs that we may not have realized God meets. Certain things that God chose to do for us and how that not only displays what the gospel is, but it displays God's character. And we're using the concept of spaces like a throne room and a courtroom and a birthing center These spaces that happen in everyday life that indicate the kind of work that God is doing through this thing we call the gospel. And lastly, we're going to be looking at uh, significant theological terms that may not be used in your everyday work, but they're words that help us remember how the gospel is unique and diverse at the same time, and how God meets needs in special ways all through this thing we call the gospel. Now, let me tell you, there's three ways I want to challenge you to connect with this series. The first way is to be here, to be with your friends and church family each and every week that you possibly can. On the weeks that you cannot physically be with us, I want to encourage you to join us online. And if you can't join us online, then make sure you listen to the podcast or go on YouTube and watch the message so you can stay connected with the us as we build this necessary vocabulary and concepts together as a church. Second thing is study the book of Romans with us. Read it. Uh, There's a book available to you. There's a a devotional guide for small groups and individuals that's available in our resource center. You can go pick it up today. I think it's $10. And it will uh, take you through this entire series. It will give you daily thoughts and things to read and think about. There's even a section in it for sermon notes. Uh, So when you're engaged with us, you can write this down, remember this, and use this as a valuable resource going forward when you think about what it means to understand salvation and all of its complexity. And the last thing is involve yourself in a group that's going through this, because our Bible study is important, but it's even more important when we do that together and we share what we're learning and thinking and how God is shaping us in that. And we also invite you to join us on Wednesday night. If you're not involved in a Wednesday night study currently, then we invite you to join us in this room at Wednesday night at 6.40. Uh, The programming starts at 6.30, but we give you a chance to drop your kids off and come in here and Michael DeFazio, uh, Elijah Daly, and myself will be leading the discussion as we go deeper into what we're studying that Sunday mornings doesn't avail us with enough time to do. And if you can't come on Wednesday nights or you're involved in another or serving in another area, you can download the podcast from the Wednesday night teaching. So there's multiple ways to stay connected and we're challenging you to take a next step in your discipleship and join us as we study through this. So, and also there'll be a big test at the end of the semester, so we want you to totally, for those of you that are weirded out right now. Okay, today we're going to begin by seeing that the gospel generates from the throne of God. The gospel itself, the message comes from God. It wasn't generated by us. 
We didn't go to God with the request to meet these three or four or five or eight needs in our life. It actually was God's idea. It was from God's good character and it's for our benefit. And I think we understand the gospel more in all of its complexity when we understand its origination. It comes from the throne room. Paul puts it this way in the first verse. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, as to whom his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the gospel of God? It was somewhere around 1992 or 93 that I had an opportunity to attend a uh, master's level class at Cincinnati Bible Seminary led by Dr. Jack Cottrell. And Dr. Cottrell did this series called the, The Doctrine of Grace. And it covered the first eight chapters of Romans. And I don't say this as a preacher with, you know, practicing an exaggeration. It was one of the most foundational teachings I ever received. I don't know what happened to me in Bible college for those four years. I was immature and I was a, just a dumb kid trying to figure it all out. It wasn't until I took that class that everything my doctrine professors were trying to teach me snapped into place. And I was like, oh, And I want you to understand that in the book of Romans, when we understand the gospel, the way it's presented, but it was in that particular moment that I saw this expression, the gospel of God, and I don't know that in my experiences I ever heard anybody use that term. Now, I'd read it, but I didn't understand it, that there's something significant saying here as as Paul is going to tell us what the gospel of God is. But there's something that concerns me a little bit as a teacher, and that is, it's easy for me, when I say the word gospel, to think you know what I mean. Or when you use the word gospel, to assume that the rest of us understand what that word means to you. We use the gospel in so many distinct ways, that I wonder if we all mean the same thing when we say it. Now, do you remember in that great theological film, The Princess Bride? Do you remember? When uh, Vizzini keeps saying, it's inconceivable. And every time he says it, you're like, oh, weird. And then finally, Inigo Montoya says to him, you keep using that word, and I don't think it means what you think it means. I wonder, when we use the word gospel, if we understand how robust it is. In other words, I'm not questioning that you don't know what the gospel is. But I may be questioning whether you know all that the gospel is. And the robust character of the gospel. That's why this series exists. That's why we're spending time as a church for the next eight weeks focusing on not just being able to give a dictionary definition of the gospel, but understanding how the gospel meets us in places we need it to meet us. That from the throne room of God, he decreed what we needed and he knew. You see, the robustness of the gospel is important. The word gospel is a Greek combination word, and it means a message or messenger that brings joy and peace. So when they talk about the good news in your New Testament, it's talking about a messenger or a message that brings you the joy and peace of God. This is the gospel. But sometimes it's easier to define what something isn't than what it is. So I want you to know that the gospel is not good advice about what you must do to not go to hell. 
And the gospel is not about what you must do to experience success or increase your worldly possessions. The gospel is not about what you must do to fix the problems in a broken world. It's good news about what God has done through Jesus for a broken and dying world. It's not about us. The gospel is about what God has done. Paul calls it the gospel of God. Jesus, interestingly, displayed what it was. In Matthew 4.23 is just one example. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The apostle Paul uses this term good news relating to the incarnation, that God would come to earth and live among us, that we might understand him by his presence. Paul also uses the term the gospel relating to the death of Jesus on the cross and the sacrificial atonement he provides us. Paul then uses gospel related to the resurrection and to the ascension, back to the throne, sitting at the right hand of God, having completed everything God sent him to do. The gospel is not about what we do. The gospel is about what God has done through Jesus for a broken and dying world. Now, you may have known this, so let me pull the curtain back and give you a peek at that Oz is just a tiny little man. When I'm writing my sermons, there comes a point in time where I'm like, okay, this is where I've irritated the skeptic. And I'll think to myself, this is where the veteran Christian looks at me and goes, I know this. And I I don't feel bad about that, but as a teacher, you get to write to those perspectives. This is where I expect some of you to go, Mark, I know what the gospel is. Are we going to actually spend eight weeks doing this? The answer is yes, and you probably don't understand it completely yet. This is why we want to have this discussion. I don't want you to know it. I want every one of us to experience it. I want us to let God do the work the gospel wants to do in our lives. I want that for you. Not as a corrective, but as inspiration. You see, Jesus said it's the good news of the kingdom. There are two things when Jesus talks about the gospel he presents regularly. The first is the coming of the kingdom of God. Again, the origination of this all came from the throne of God himself. This was his idea. This was his desire. And this was good. In Mark 1.15, it says, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If you would dissect what Jesus is telling us in Mark 1.15, this is what you would see. Jesus brought to us what God desired we would have. Jesus brought it to us. He did not have to. He did not owe it to us. But because of his great love, he brought it. And Jesus tells us, he says, the time has come. In other words, the promise has been fulfilled. What God said he would do, when he said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, when God said what he would do to the work of Satan in this world, Jesus said, I want you to know he's fulfilling his promises. He also says that the kingdom has come near, that the kingdom is available to you. But think about it. When Jesus said these words, the Roman government was in power and they were oppressing God's people. And if the Romans weren't oppressing God's people, God's people were oppressing God's people. And if that wasn't bad enough, God's people were absolutely oppressing those who weren't Jewish. So when Jesus said the kingdom of of God has come, the time has come that the kingdom of God is near, they had to look at him going, where? And this is what I want you to see. It was him. 
the kingdom of God, the gospel of God is Jesus. And he said to them, I am here. And that God has a purpose. Repent, change your mind about this world and receive my good news. Jesus made a huge statement about what the gospel means. In Luke chapter four, verse 18, Jesus tells you this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he, God, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you hear him? Jesus said the gospel came from God. He sent me to you for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. This wasn't originated by us. We didn't even know we needed it. And he sent Jesus. He anointed Jesus. He gave Jesus a proclamation that all of God's promises are being fulfilled, that Jesus was the fulfillment of those promises, and that it is available to us today because God had a plan, and the gospel is God's plan to usher in a kingdom where healing and power are provided. So not only is he showing us the coming of the kingdom, he's showing us the grace of God's character. See, this is God's answer to the human predicament. Do you remember the story Jesus told about the prodigal son, the son who told his father, I wish you were dead so I could have what was yours. And the father said, have what is mine. And he sent him away and, and the son took the possessions and he squandered them. He threw them all away. And then he came to his senses, the Bible says. And, and in Jesus' story, this is what he was thinking. It is better to go home and be a servant of my father than it is to live the life I'm living. And I think when all of us come to that moment of realization of what the gospel is offering us, we come to the realization that the lives we've chosen to live will not get us where we want to go and it will not even make us feel good. And so the son returns to the father and this is what he says, I will be your servant and I will serve you and the father has none of that. Did you notice? The father doesn't say, yes, I'm gonna give you a six month probationary period for you to figure out if you're gonna be good. No, the father says, stop the nonsense. Put his ring back on his finger. Put his robe back on him. Let the world know the son I lost is home. I want you to hear about the character of God because when Jesus preaches his kingdom, he preaches the goodness of the king. And there was nothing the son could do to change what he had done, but the father loved him home. Mark 10, 15 says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Teresa, one of our discipleship ministers, just told you a few moments ago that when she read that passage that Jesus said about having the good eye, that she was like, what? And she was open enough to say, I didn't understand that, so I did research and I found this and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Well, let me tell you, one of these passages that we just read is one of those passages that has always tripped me up until it was explained to me and it was like, that, that fits, that makes sense to everything else Jesus said. What does he mean when he said, if you will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it? Well, let me put it this way. I want you to imagine if you have this person in your world, just picture this, you and them. Picture some child between the age of three and six, let's say. And I know there's always one of you, but I can't pick my favorite. Just fake it and pick one. And if not, then just take them all. 
But I want you to imagine you find this little three, four, five, six-year-old in your world and you love them dearly and you're, you just decide because you know how good God is that you know what I know that Dairy Queen has brought back the pumpkin pie blizzard. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Church, that is good news. That is gospel. So the pumpkin pie blizzard is now available at your local Dairy Queen and I don't get a dime for saying that, but if you gave me a dime, I would go buy one. And uh, so I say to this little four-year-old boy, hey, do you want to go with me to Dairy Queen? Yeah. You know, they have pumpkin pie blizzards. I've never had one. Let me change your life. So I grab this child and we go to Dairy Queen and we eat our pumpkin pie blizzards in the, in the parking lot and we're just laughing and enjoying every second of it. Or if that's not your thing and I had someone come up to me and go, well, I didn't like your illustration, I don't like pumpkin. Well, repent. <laughs> it's not my problem. But they're not here, so I didn't say that. Uh, but I'd say to you, hey, you know, Chick-fil-A still has peach shakes. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't changed that or tried one of those, trust me, okay? And so if I said to this child, hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A and we'll get some uh, little pieces of chicken that are made in heaven and we'll have a peach shake and all, everything will be awesome. Now, do you think for a second that that little four-year-old boy that's sitting in my car that is eating ice cream with me and having fun and we're laughing and doing all that, you think for a moment that that child thinks to himself, I need to pay Mark back. Do you think the whole time they're thinking, oh, what can I do to repay the favor? Or do you think for a second that little four-year-old child is looking at me going, you know, I deserved this. He should have done this a week ago. <laughs> he knew I was hungry. He did nothing. No, there's no resentment. There's no expectation. That child is sitting in my vehicle, and we're enjoying the goodness of what God has given us in this world, and we're just simply enjoying it. And all he's thinking the entire time is, when can we do this again? Because a child has no expectation that they deserve a single thing. In fact, they become somewhat accustomed to being taken care of, don't they? Now, we think that's a character flaw because we're so American. But I'm here to tell you today, Jesus said that you will not understand the gospel unless you're willing to sit in the front of his truck and just enjoy it. You didn't earn it. You certainly, you can't pay him back. There's nothing you can do to it to give him back what he's just given you. And this is what Jesus wants us to know, that those striving to prove their worth don't understand the robustness of the gospel of God, how he came from his throne to our world that we might have what we need. Well, what does this good news provide? Verse 14. I, Paul, am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel. Also to you who are in Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel because this is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It's interesting here. Please understand that the gospel is more than just forgiveness, the gospel is more than just your sins are forgiven. It is so much more. Or hear me say it this way. Forgiveness is good news, amen? But it's not the only news. It's great news, but it's not the only news. Salvation means more than your past is forgiven. Salvation brings power. Salvation brings authority. Salvation brings healing. Salvation. Salvation brings freedom. It is so much bigger than I don't go to hell. So I get to be a part of the kingdom of God because my king came for me. And in the midst of this, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. 
He gave his life on the cross that his blood might suffice where my blood is due. And in this entire series, I'm going to show you that there's more to it. Although forgiveness of sins is needed beyond our belief, there's so much more to it than that. You see, the gospel of God is good news because no one of us has a solution to our bad news. So God, from the throne of heaven, in his sovereign grace, showed his love that he came. The reason we say here that we exist so that God's people will find their completeness in Jesus is because there is no completeness without Jesus. There is no healing, there is no strength, there is no freedom, there is nothing of value that lasts if Jesus did not bring it to us. So how is the good news to be received? How are we to look at this as we go forward? Verse 17, for in the gospel, in the work of God through Jesus, to a broken world, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel, a righteousness from God. Paul seems to be answering fundamentally the question in the book of Romans. How does a person like me find itself right with God? How does a person like you restore a right relationship with God? And the answer to the question is, it is nothing we do. It is what God did through Jesus to a broken, dying world. What God does through Jesus is the only hope for us to be restored. So in the gospel of God, the righteousness of God is displayed for those who will place their faith in him, in the work of Jesus, in Jesus alone. It's a power, though, that can be experienced. The power of God, through the gospel, makes the claim that his sovereignty is not offensive, it's our hope. The power of God makes the claim that our sinfulness is as shameful as it is to us, is not the final verdict on us. It's a power that calls us to live for something bigger than our own self-justification and an acceptable worldview that makes us feel like we are the center of it all. And God did this by his own choice. And God did this for our own good. So when the world says, yeah, but the gospel is constantly telling you you're a sinner, we say we are unashamed of that because we are Yet that's not the final verdict, is it? The gospel doesn't just say, you need to be forgiven. The gospel says that the love of God will forgive you and the power of God will free you. So much more robust. Look with me at verses 5, 6, and 7. Through God and for God's namesake, We received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are being called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gets it. And he wants us to understand it too. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So if you don't know, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, North North Central Indiana, and the University of Notre Dame is their 
moment of silence, rest in peace. But the University of Notre Dame football team used to be there. But anyway, the university's there. And it's the center of the town. It's a Polish Catholic town predominantly. And I learned a lot of things about Polish culture growing up in that community, even though I'm not. And it was an amazing place to grow up and everything. But I grew up in a very Catholic town, and notice, not disparaging Catholics at all, but I understood the concept of saints by what my friends told me their church taught about saints, and that's not what this word means, a misunderstanding of it. Now, when I think of a saint, I think of Mother Teresa, right? When you think of the saints of the Catholic church, you think those who have aspired to a level that most of us will never reach, and they're granted sainthood as a, as a special thing. And I want you to know this, that when Paul uses the word saint, he's not talking about those who have climbed to the apex of holiness. He's talking about a saved sinner. And those called by God's love were not called because they were worthy. They were called because they needed salvation. And Paul says because of what God does in the gospel, there is not a single person in this room who his salvation cannot reach. There's not a single person in this space that from the throne room of heaven, God cannot come down and change who you are to become like his son Jesus. That's the good news. To all that are loved by God, the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like you to pay close attention to the video that's about to play. I want you to hear the gospel story one more time as it comes from the throne room of heaven to our place and the space where he meets us. Let's watch this video. Imagine you stand before a throne. It is beautifully crafted and ornate. It is proud and wonderful because it speaks about the majesty of the one who sits upon it. It speaks of the wide expansion and goodness of his rule and dominion. It is fit only for a king, but it is empty. Where is the king? All of a sudden, you see the robes, the crown, the scepter scattered before his footstool. You turn around to see him standing, but he looks dirty, clothed in rags and common, a beauty hidden beneath, a secret righteousness on the verge of escape. But he walks out among his people, a people in revolt and rebellion. The great lie has seized them, but not for long. He will enter the battle. He will make the sacrifice. He will mend their hearts. He will not sit at a distance. The moment comes of the great reveal. The king is robed, crowned, hailed, but not with beauty, not with gold, not with praise, but scorn, pain, sin. He has exchanged his throne for a cross, his home for a tomb, his life for a rebel. What sort of king is this? But three days came and so did he. Up from that grave he had victory. He silenced sin and death. He proved his power true. He took his place upon his throne and offered us a room. This is the good news. Jesus is the king. He leads us and we follow him from our tombs to his home. We walk with him into glory and kneel at his throne. 
He is our rescuer, our redeemer, our substitute. And we are not ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.